Section 38 of Institutes of the Christian Religion, Book 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Institutes of the Christian Religion, Book 3, by John Calvin. Translated by Henry Beveridge. Chapter 20, Part 6. 45. The next petition is, Forgive us our debts. In this and the following petition, our Saviour has briefly comprehended whatever is conducive to the heavenly life, as these two members contain the spiritual covenant which God made for the salvation of his church. Quote, I will put my law in their inward parts, and write it on their hearts. Quote, I will pardon all their iniquities. Jeremiah 31, 33 and 33, 8. Here our Saviour begins with the forgiveness of sins, and then adds the subsequent blessing, that is, that God would protect us by his power, and support us by the aid of his Spirit, so that we may stand invincible against all temptations. To sins he gives the name of debts, because we owe the punishment due to them, a debt which we could not possibly pay were we not discharged by this remission, the result of his free mercy, when he freely expunges the debt, accepting nothing in return, but of his own mercy receiving satisfaction in Christ, who gave himself a ransom for us. Romans 3.24 Hence, those who expect to satisfy God by merits of their own or of others, or to compensate and purchase forgiveness by means of satisfactions, have no share in this free pardon, and while they address God in this petition, do nothing more than subscribe their own accusation and seal their condemnation by their own testimony. For they confess that they are debtors, unless they are discharged by means of forgiveness. This forgiveness, however, they do not receive, but rather reject, when they obtrude their merits and satisfactions upon God, since by so doing they do not implore his mercy, but appeal to his justice. Let those again, who dream of a perfection which makes it unnecessary to seek pardon, find their disciples among those whose itching ears incline them to imposture. Only let them understand that those whom they thus acquire have been carried away from Christ, since he, by instructing all to confess their guilt, receives none but sinners, not that he may soothe, and so encourage them in their sins, but because he knows that believers are never so divested of the sins of the flesh as not to remain subject to the justice of God. It is indeed to be wished, it ought even to be our strenuous endeavor, to perform all the parts of our duty, so as truly to congratulate ourselves before God as being pure from every stain. But as God is pleased to renew his image in us by degrees, so that to some extent there is always a residue of corruption in our flesh, we ought by no means to neglect the remedy. But if Christ, according to the authority given him by his Father, enjoins us, during the whole course of our lives, to implore pardon, who can tolerate those new teachers who, by the phantom of perfect innocence, endeavor to dazzle the simple, and make them believe that they can render themselves completely free from guilt, this, as John declares, is nothing else than to make God a liar. 1 John 1 verse 10. 
in like manner those foolish men mutilate the covenant in which we have seen that our salvation is contained by concealing one head of it and so destroying it entirely being guilty not only of profanity in that they separate things which ought to be indissolubly connected but also of wickedness and cruelty in overwhelming wretched souls with despair of treachery also to themselves and their followers in that they encourage themselves in a carelessness diametrically opposed to the mercy of god it is excessively childish to object that when they long for the advent of the kingdom of god they at the same time pray for the abolition of sin in the former division of the prayer absolute perfection is set before us but in the latter our own weakness thus the two fitly correspond to each other we strive for the goal and at the same time neglect not the remedies which our necessities require in the next part of the petition we pray to be forgiven as we forgive our debtors that is as we spare and pardon all by whom we have in any way offended either in deed by unjust or in word by contumelious treatment not that we can forgive the guilt of a fault or offence this belongs to god only but we can forgive to this extent we can voluntarily divest our minds of wrath hatred and revenge and efface the remembrance of injuries by a voluntary oblivion wherefore we are not to ask the forgiveness of our sins from god unless we forgive the offences of all who are or have been injurious to us if we retain any hatred in our minds if we meditate revenge and devise the means of hurting nay if we do not return to a good understanding with our enemies perform every kind of friendly office and endeavour to effect a reconciliation with them we by this petition beseech god not to grant us forgiveness for we ask him to do to us as we do to others this is the same as asking him not to do unless we do also what then do such persons obtain by this petition but a heavier judgment lastly it is to be observed that the condition of being forgiven as we forgive our debtors is not added because by forgiving others we deserve forgiveness as if the cause of forgiveness were expressed but by the use of this expression the lord has been pleased partly to solace the weakness of our faith using it as a sign to assure us that our sins are as certainly forgiven as we are certainly conscious of having forgiven others when our mind is completely purged from all envy hatred and malice and partly using as a badge by which he excludes from the number of his children all who prone to revenge and reluctant to forgive obstinately keep up their enmity cherishing against others that indignation which they deprecate from themselves so that they should not venture to invoke him as a father in the gospel of luke we have this distinctly stated in the words of christ forty six the sixth petition corresponds as we have observed to the promise of writing the law upon our hearts but because we do not obey god without a continual warfare without sharp and arduous contests we here pray that he would furnish us with armor and defend us by his protection that we may be able to obtain the victory by this we are reminded that we not only have need of the gift of the spirit inwardly to soften our hearts 
and turn and direct them to the obedience of God, but also of his assistance, to render us invincible by all the wiles and violent assaults of Satan. The forms of temptation are many and various. The depraved conceptions of our minds provoking us to transgress the law. Conceptions which our concupiscence suggests, or the devil excites, are temptations. And things which in their own nature are not evil, become temptations by the wiles of the devil, when they are presented to our eyes in such a way that the view of them makes us withdraw or decline from God. These temptations are both on the right hand and on the left. On the right, when riches, power, and honors, which by their glare and the semblance of good which they present, generally dazzle the eyes of men, and so entice by their blandishments, that, caught by their snares, and intoxicated by their sweetness, they forget their God. On the left, when offended by the hardship and bitterness of poverty, disgrace, contempt, afflictions, and other things of that description, they despond, cast away their confidence and hope, and are at length totally estranged from God. In regard to both kinds of temptation, which either enkindled in us by concupiscence or presented by the craft of Satan's war against us, we pray God the Father not to allow us to be overcome, but rather to raise and support us by his hand, that strengthened by his mighty power, we may stand firm against all the assaults of our malignant enemy, whatever be the thoughts which he sends into our minds. Next, we pray that whatever of either description is allotted us, we may turn to good, that is, may neither be inflated with prosperity, nor cast down by adversity. Here, however, we do not ask to be altogether exempted from temptation, which is very necessary to excite, stimulate, and urge us on, that we may not become too lethargic. It was not without reason that David wished to be tried, nor is it without cause that the Lord daily tries his elect, chastising them by disgrace, poverty, tribulation, and other kinds of cross. But the temptations of God and Satan are very different. Satan tempts that he may destroy, condemn, confound, throw headlong. God, that by proving his people he may make trial of their sincerity, and by exercising their strength confirm it, may mortify, tame, and cauterize their flesh, which, if not curbed in this manner, would wanton and exult above measure. Besides, Satan attacks those who are unarmed and unprepared, that he may destroy them unawares. Whereas whatever God sends, he, quote, will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it, end quote. Whether by the term evil we understand the devil or sin is not of the least consequence. Satan is indeed the very enemy who lays snares for our life, but it is by sin that he is armed for our destruction. Our petition, therefore, is that we may not be overcome or overwhelmed with temptation, but in the strength of the Lord may stand firm against all the powers by which we are assailed. In other words, may not fall under temptation, that being thus taken under his charge and protection, we may remain invincible by sin, death, the gates of hell, and the whole power of the devil. In other words, be delivered from evil. Here it is carefully to be observed, 
that we have no strength to contend with such a combatant as the devil, or to sustain the violence of his assault. Were it otherwise, it would be mockery of God to ask of him what we already possess in ourselves. Assuredly, those who in self-confidence prepare for such a fight do not understand how bold and well-equipped the enemy is with whom they have to do. Now we ask to be delivered from his power as from the mouth of some furious raging lion who would instantly tear us with his teeth and claws and swallow us up, did not the Lord rescue us from the midst of death. At the same time, knowing that if the Lord is present and will fight for us while we stand by, through him, quote, we shall do valiantly. Psalm 60, verse 12. Let others, if they will, confide in the powers and resources of their free will which they think they possess. Enough for us that we stand and are strong in the power of God alone. But the prayer comprehends more than at first sight it seems to do. For if the Spirit of God is our strength in waging the contest with Satan, we cannot gain the victory unless we are filled with him, and thereby freed from all infirmity of the flesh. Therefore, when we pray to be delivered from sin and Satan, we at the same time desire to be enriched with new supplies of divine grace, until completely replenished with them, we triumph over every evil. To some it seems rude and harsh to ask God not to lead us into temptation, since, as James declares, James 1.13, it is contrary to his nature to do so. This difficulty has already been partly solved by the fact that our concupiscence is the cause, and therefore properly bears the blame of all the temptations by which we are overcome. All that James means is, that it is vain and unjust to ascribe to God vices which our own consciousness compels us to impute to ourselves. But this is no reason why God may not, when he sees it meet, bring us into bondage to Satan, give us up to a reprobate mind and shameful lusts, and so by a just, indeed, but often hidden judgment, lead us into temptation. Though the cause is often concealed from men, it is well known to him. Hence we may see that the expression is not improper, if we are persuaded that it is not without cause he so often threatens to give sure signs of his vengeance by blinding the reprobate and hardening their hearts. 47. These three petitions, in which we specially commend ourselves and all that we have to God, clearly show what we formerly observed, sections 38 and 39, that the prayers of Christians should be public and have respect to the public edification of the church and the advancement of believers in spiritual communion. For no one requests that anything should be given to him as an individual, but we all ask in common for daily bread and the forgiveness of sins, not to be led into temptation, but delivered from evil. Moreover, there is subjoined the reason for our great boldness in asking and confidence of obtaining, sections 11 and 36. Although this does not exist in the Latin copies, yet as it accords so well with the whole, we cannot think of omitting it. The words are, Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory for ever. Here is the calm and firm assurance of our faith. For were our prayers to be commended to God by our own worth, 
who would venture even to whisper before him? Now, however wretched we may be, however unworthy, however devoid of commendation, we shall never want a reason for prayer, nor a ground of confidence, since the kingdom, power, and glory can never be wrested from our Father. The last word is Amen, by which is expressed the eagerness of our desire to obtain the things which we ask, while our hope is confirmed that all things have already been obtained, and will assuredly be granted to us, seeing they have been promised by God, who cannot deceive. This accords with the form of expression to which we have already adverted, quote, Grant, O Lord, for thy name's sake, not on account of us or of our righteousness, end quote. By this the saints not only express the end of their prayers, but confess that they are unworthy of obtaining, did not God find the cause in himself, and were not their confidence founded entirely on his nature. 48. All things that we ought, indeed all that we are able, to ask of God, are contained in this formula, and as it were rule, of prayer delivered by Christ, our divine Master, whom the Father has appointed to be our teacher, and to whom alone he would have us to listen. Matthew 17, verse 5. For he ever was the eternal wisdom of the Father, and, being made man, was manifested as the Wonderful, the Counselor. Isaiah 11, verse 2. Accordingly, this prayer is complete in all its parts, so complete that whatever is extraneous and foreign to it, whatever cannot be referred to it, is impious and unworthy of the approbation of God. For he has here summarily prescribed what is worthy of him, what is acceptable to him, and what is necessary for us. In short, whatever he is pleased to grant. Those, therefore, who presume to go further and ask something more from God, first seek to add of their own to the wisdom of God. This it is insane blasphemy to do. Secondly, refusing to confine themselves within the will of God and despising it, they wander as their cupidity directs. Lastly, they will never obtain anything, seeing they pray without faith. For there cannot be a doubt that all such prayers are made without faith, because at variance with the word of God, on which, if faith do not always lean, it cannot possibly stand. Those who, disregarding the master's rule, indulge their own wishes, not only have not the word of God, but as much as in them lies, oppose it. Hence Tertullian has not less truly than elegantly termed it lawful prayer, tacitly intimating that all other prayers are lawless and illicit. 49. By this, however, we would not have it understood that we are so restricted to this form of prayer as to make it unlawful to change a word or syllable of it. For in Scripture we meet with many prayers differing greatly from it in word, yet written by the same Spirit, and capable of being used by us with the greatest advantage. Many prayers also are continually suggested to believers by the same spirit, though in expression they bear no great resemblance to it. All we mean to say is, that no man should wish, expect, or ask anything which is not summarily comprehended in this prayer. Though the words may be very different, there must be no difference in the sense. In this way, 
all prayers both those which are contained in the scripture and those which come forth from pious breasts must be referred to it certainly none can ever equal it far less surpass it in perfection it omits nothing which can conceive in praise of god nothing which we can imagine advantageous to man and the whole is so exact that all hope of improving it may well be renounced in short let us remember that we have here the doctrine of heavenly wisdom god has taught what he willed he willed what was necessary fifty but although it has been said above section seven twenty seven etc that we ought always to raise our minds upwards towards god and pray without ceasing yet such is our weakness which requires to be supported such our torpor which requires to be stimulated that it is requisite for us to appoint special hours for this exercise hours which are not to pass away without prayer and during which the whole affections of our minds are to be completely occupied namely when we rise in the morning before we commence our daily work when we sit down to food when by the blessing of god we have taken it and when we retire to rest this however must not be a superstitious observance of ours by which as it were performing a task to god we think we are discharged as to other hours it should rather be considered as a discipline by which our weakness is exercised and ever and anon stimulated in particular it must be our anxious care whenever we are ourselves pressed or see others pressed by any strait instantly to have recourse to him not only with quickened pace but with quickened minds and again we must not in any prosperity of ourselves or others omit to testify our recognition of his hand by praise and thanksgiving lastly we must in all our prayers carefully avoid wishing to confine god to certain circumstances or prescribe to him the time place or mode of action in like manner we are taught by this prayer not to fix any law or impose any condition upon him but leave it entirely to him to adopt whatever course of procedure seems to him best in respect of method time and place for before we offer up any petition for ourselves we ask that his will may be done and by so doing place our will in subordination to his just as if we had laid a curb upon it that instead of presuming to give law to god it may regard him as the ruler and disposer of all its wishes fifty one if with minds thus framed to obedience we allow ourselves to be governed by the laws of divine providence we shall easily learn to persevere in prayer and suspending our own desires wait patiently for the lord certain however little the appearance of it may be that he is always present with us and will in his own time show how very far he was from turning a deaf ear to prayers though to the eyes of men they may seem to be disregarded this will be a very present consolation if at any time god does not grant an immediate answer to our prayers preventing us from fainting or giving way to despondency as those are wont to do who in invoking god are so borne away by their own fervour that unless he yield on their first importunity and give present help they immediately imagine that he is angry and offended with them 
and abandoning all hope of success, cease from prayer. On the contrary, deferring our hope with well-tempered equanimity, let us insist with that perseverance which is so strongly recommended to us in Scripture. We may often see in the Psalms how David and other believers, after they are almost weary of praying, and seem to have been beating the air by addressing a God who would not hear, yet cease not to pray, because due authority is not given to the word of God, unless the faith placed in it is superior to all events. Again, let us not tempt God, and by wearying him with our importunity provoke his anger against us. Many have a practice of formally bargaining with God on certain conditions, and, as if he were the servant of their lust, binding him to certain stipulations, with which, if he do not immediately comply, they are indignant and fretful, murmur, complain, and make a noise. Thus offended, he often in his anger grants to such persons what in mercy he kindly denies to others. Of this we have a proof in the children of Israel, for whom it had been better not to have been heard by the Lord, than to swallow his indignation with their flesh. Numbers 11, verses 18 and 33. 52. But if our sense is not able, till after long expectation, to perceive what the result of prayer is, or experience any benefit from it, still our faith will assure us of that which cannot be perceived by sense, that is, that we have obtained what was fit for us, the Lord having so often and so surely engaged to take an interest in all our troubles from the moment they have been deposited in his bosom. In this way, we shall possess abundance in poverty and comfort in affliction. For though all things fail, God will never abandon us, and he cannot frustrate the expectation and patience of his people. He alone will suffice for all, since in himself he comprehends all good, and will at last reveal it to us on the day of judgment, when his kingdom shall be plainly manifested. We may add, that although God complies with our request, he does not always give an answer in the very terms of our prayers, but while apparently holding us in suspense, yet in an unknown way, shows that our prayers have not been in vain. This is the meaning of the words of John, quote, If we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. 1 John 5 verse 15 it might seem that there is here a great superfluity of words, but the declaration is most useful, namely, that God, even when he does not comply with our requests, yet listens and is favorable to our prayers, so that our hope founded on his word is never disappointed. But believers have always need of being supported by this patience, as they could not stand long if they did not lean upon it for the trials by which the Lord proves and exercises us are severe, nay, he often drives us to extremes, and when driven, allows us long to stick fast in the mire before he gives us any taste of his sweetness. As Hannah says, quote, The Lord killeth and maketh alive, he bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. 1 Samuel 2 verse 6 what could they here do but become dispirited and rush on despair, were they not, when afflicted, desolate, and half-dead, comforted with the thought 
that they are regarded by God, and that there will be an end to their present evils. But however secure their hopes may stand, they in the meantime cease not to pray, since prayer unaccompanied by perseverance leads to no result. End of section 38